You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at the University of Victoria. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Maureen Chow. I'm here today with Erica Richards. Erica, tell us who you are and what you do at UVic. Hi, I am a master's student. I just completed the Master of Music in Performance degree uh, for trumpet performance. And in the fall, I'm actually starting the law program. Wow, and what made you decide to stay at UVic? Uh, It's a really great school, uh, for law especially. Um, It offers a lot of hands-on practical experience that other universities just didn't seem to have, um, especially the ones in Western Canada to which I applied. Specifically, it has a co-op program, so I'll be able to get some work experience in between my study terms, as well as uh, law clinical, which is extremely valuable for uh, creating connections and getting real experience before becoming a lawyer. What's Law Clinical? You get an opportunity to work with low-income cases, human rights cases, and you're actually handling the your client's case files and everything. So actually getting experience as a lawyer, working with the kind of clients that I hope to work with in the future. And for you, I mean, it's a little premature, <laughs> but what are you hoping to come out of law specifically? I'm hoping to get into human rights law, and I'd specifically like to work with sexual violence um, and and human rights law in that capacity, but uh, I think that's a little bit too narrow of a category, so I'll probably end up branching out to, you know, um, human rights law with discrimination and labor law as a whole. And that's three years? Three years. Okay, well, you've done a lot of school. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, you know, kudos to you, because I, you know, the music program is intense, so... With trumpet performance, what kind of led you into music? Uh, I've actually, I had always intended to be a trumpet player. I picked up the instrument when I was 11 and never wanted to put it down. And no matter what my family said about, you you wanted to be a lawyer before, or a writer, or a journalist, you know, I just wanted to play the instrument. And, you know, the, the amount of times I got asked, well, what about teaching is incredible, but it was just never for me. Like teaching wasn't for you? Yeah, okay. yeah, I always wanted to perform. <laughs> right, and how did, with trumpet, was that, you know, hours in the practice room every day? Like, what was what was that like? Uh, honestly, I was a, a bit of a nerd in junior high, um, so I would spend my lunch hours in the band room, just not even just on trumpet, but I learned saxophone and flute and clarinet and percussion and everything. And then in high school, I kind of focused a little more, and it was a lot of extracurricular jazz bands and jazz choirs and musical theater orchestras and and all sorts of things. You've done it all. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and with music though, I mean I when you say like I fell in love with the instrument when I was 11, where do you see music fitting in into the future? Like I know you want to play it sounds like. Yeah. But what else is in store. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a tough balance because obviously my full-time career is going to be transitioning to law, but I think it would be a shame to waste a master's degree in music performance. <laughs> so I think that I'd, I'd still plan on doing community gigs and, and as many gigs as I can pick up really, playing with some bands or orchestras and taking lessons still. Just keep learning. And music is like a very lifestyle driving type of career you know like I feel like there's not a lot of room to do your own thing like every moment has to be 
music absolutely in performance so in terms of discipline how did that play into like studying for LSATs like I'm sure I mean I know they're not that related but I'm sure it's a huge advantage when you're the type of person that's been you know keeping yourself to like a rigorous self-directed schedule all the time with music yeah absolutely that um made it easy to easier not easy to uh to balance studying for the LSAT as well as uh continuing the work toward my master's degree and I think that's one of the reasons musicians actually go into law quite commonly we have that self-driven attitude and we're used to crazy schedules and just having a really rigid schedule of readings and practicing and rehearsals whereas with law that all transforms more into academic work but the same drive is needed I think. It's really great to hear you say that because I feel there's a bit of a misconception with music students sometimes that it's like a a fun program and I'm not going to say that it isn't fun but (laughs) (laughs) just that people seem to have a bit of a stereotype that it's a lot of um, you know, like sitting around with a guitar, that it's a lot of drug use or, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so nope. speaking more about music, so did you just do a grad recital? Like what was the performance life like here in Victoria when you were doing your master's? Yeah, so um, the biggest requirement for the master's of music and performance is a final recital and defense on that recital. Um, so a solo program of about an hour um with an intermission and then um, a normal oral defense like any other master's degree has um, that talked about programming choices, preparation methods, um, historical context for all of the pieces and that sort of thing. Yeah, what were some of the composers that you were playing in the works that you selected? Okay, uh, so for my recital I played uh, a fanfare with two of my uh, trumpet playing friends uh, to open the program and that was by Britton. Um, and then I moved on to some piano transcriptions by Grieg and a beautiful piece called Prayer of St. Gregory by Alan Hovannis. Um, and then for the second half, I again opened it with a duet with my friend um, by Boza. And then there was also a sonatina by Martin New, and then I finished it off with the Hummel Trumpet Concerto. Okay, yeah, no, I never hear people talk about playing Hummel, so it's very cool. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite pieces. And how was, for the defense, was it like you were asked on those specific pieces, like your knowledge of them? Was it like an analysis? Um, A a little bit of both. Um, So it started off with me doing a presentation, and I tried to be pretty comprehensive to avoid questioning, Um, but I basically talked about uh, my preparation for each piece, the musical... (laughs) Musicological. (laughs) Musicological uh, backgrounds of each piece. Um, and then I talked about how it went on performance day as well as all of my preparation for that piece specifically. And then I finished it off with talking as a whole about my preparation as a musician and a performer um, and, and how I plan going forward. And do you have any pieces that were out of the ordinary a bit or what was your preparation process like? Obviously practicing and a lot of very specific practicing working on small chunks of music over and over again with the metronome getting them up to tempo or um, more steady rhythm. Um, For the Hummel concerto, I played it from memory, so um, there's a lot of work into that, but because I practiced it so much, actually memorizing it ended up being fairly simple. Um, And then for me, the biggest thing was combating performance anxiety. Uh, So the first recital I did in my degree did not go very well at all. 
Old habits came into play with nerves as well as just literal performance anxiety and difficulty breathing and, and, and elevated heart rate. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot, lo lots of fun. Um, so for the second recital, I actually performed all of my pieces in full performances for community um, groups. So I played at a church and a senior's home and for my cadet unit that I work with. So that by the day of my recital, it was less new, less scary. Um, I also did a lot of self-talk that I worked on with my supervisor to create a positive mentality going in. And then I actually also looked into, they're called beta blockers. So they help dealing with the physiological aspects of anxiety. With the nerves, I mean, I've seen so many videos, pro musicians get them. Everyone gets them to Absolutely. some extent, you yeah. know? I hardly ever meet any musicians that don't have a bit of, even a little something, you know? Yeah. For you, like, obviously I think preparation is the biggest, Yeah. biggest aid. But are there any, like, do you have any rituals, any superstitions or anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about rituals just yet, because uh, this stuff is actually still quite new to me. But um, one thing that really helped was uh, right before going on stage, I did something called triangular breathing, and then combined that with the self-talk sheets that my supervisor and I had prepared. So the triangular breathing is, again, to kind of combat the physiological aspects of uh, nerves and stress and anxiety. And then the self-talk is to help get into the correct mindset of just absolutely focusing on the music rather than your experience as a performer on stage. <laughs> and I think the best music that you make is always when you really aren't thinking about it in absolutely. a live situation. I mean, that's always how I've experienced yeah, it. Yeah, and I was lucky that day. I really felt that, especially with the Hummel Concerto. Um, and I think playing it from memory was a big part of that. I wasn't lost in the music, staring at a page, and I could just kind of have fun. Were you happy with how it turned out? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it was the high point of my degree for sure, which is a good thing because the degree kind of wrote on it. So. Ended on a high note. I'm not going to make uh, I'm not going to make a pun, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving forward now, how's the summer been? Like are you still playing a lot? Like there's always something to work on. Yeah, music, absolutely. But... Um so I've been practicing a lot as well as my military job has kind of picked up so it's kind of balancing working a lot toward that for next year, as well as keeping the trumpet up. Um, but it's been great to take a step back from the stresses of learning specific repertoire for a recital and be able to just go back to fundamentals and, and work on key foundations of playing with whatever pieces I want to throw in. Would you consider yourself like a classical musician? I mean, I know you've mentioned jazz before, mm -hmm. but how do genres work? Are you like a solo player? I've always enjoyed more playing in larger ensembles, so orchestras, jazz bands, funk bands. I'm actually playing in with a funk band tonight that I'm really excited about. They do arrangements of video game themes, so it should be really fun. <laughs> and most, like, my training has been largely classical because, a li unfortunately, at the post-secondary level, they kind of make you specialize. But uh, I still like to play a lot of jazz and, and branch out into other genres, and I'm hoping, now that I'm um, out of school, to be able to do more of that. What would you say to someone who's thinking of going into music at the post-secondary level or at the graduate level? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'd say for post-secondary, there's a big misconception by a lot of people that it's they're going to be coming in and it'll just be like band class all day. Um, whereas the reality is, you know, it's a, an undergraduate degree in music is still a lot of academic work, plus a lot of ensemble work. 
And then you're expected to practice more than three hours a day as well. So I think they need to come in with the mindset that it'll be a lot of individual dedication with the occasional ensemble thrown in, um, as well as being prepared to handle a heavy academic course load. And for a graduate degree, it's really, actually a graduate degree I found easier in some ways as that you just get to come in and focus mostly on what you're actually there to do for once. <laughs> so I think actually a graduate degree is what people expect out of an undergrad in music, but you don't get it until you get to the graduate level where you're just focusing on honing your skills on your instrument. You're gonna have to fight through it a little bit first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what ultimately made you decide to switch into law because it sounds like you have a lot going for you with music and that you seem to you know really have a passion for it to be done all your music schooling at the post-secondary level and to still be pushing yourself to practice when you've gone to law school is, is not a common thing I suppose so um it's really for me a combination of things so I'd say first is just that other interests and and stuff kind of took me away from music a little bit um, one thing that I've learned throughout my music training is that to be a professional performer, it really does have to be your everything. When you're not performing, you're practicing or rehearsing or reading about performance or listening to live performances or researching about your instrument or, or teaching. And it really, I think, is a pretty all-consuming thing, whereas I'm a little bit of a career hobbyist. I, I also work with the military. I teach flying, and there's a lot of other things I love to do. So I don't think that the the life of a full-time musician works very well for that and then as well I just the lifestyle of a full-time musician just isn't what I want anymore either you know the the audition circuit and having to be willing to move anywhere for a job is just not me I'm, I'm hoping to keep it more to western Canada and be closer to my family and then lastly I just wanted a more tangible way to help in in society with certain issues for instance like my experience with sexual assault actually is what made me want to go into law and specifically um, working with sexualized violence so hopefully that's a, a positive outlet for that back to what you were saying just about music being a very all-consuming thing i think that can another one of the stereotypes that people have where the expectation there's kind of a bit of a glamour associated with music oh yeah is how I've always picked up on mm -hmm. but in reality when you're putting those skills to use it's not to be like you know depressing or upsetting but sometimes it's like no matter how much you practice you can't stop the competition oh absolutely. that is out there and you yeah. kind of have to be prepared to hear a lot yeah of no and I think that to keep going it really has to be every moment of every day. Absolutely. More on that later, but did you mention that you teach flying? Uh, I do. So I work with the military as a cadet instructor, and I teach the air cadet gliding program. So actually, for, for my summer, I'll be going off to Manitoba to teach 16- uh, and 17-year-olds how to fly gliders. Wow, multi-talented. <laughs> you do everything. What you were saying about going into law, I'm sure that you must have been really motivated to take the LSATs yeah absolutely. during your master's in music <laughs> like you mentioned a little bit so can you speak more about your driving force to go into law this year okay it's a little bit of a just a fear of aging and a fear of wasting time uh, so I knew that I didn't want to take a gap year or a work year in between these degrees I just wanted to dive right in so that as soon as possible, I'm out there uh, working as a lawyer and hopefully working toward those societal issues I mentioned. So yeah, it took a lot of scheduled time and dedication to manage 
um, a master's degree while preparing for law school, the application process, and of course writing the LSAT. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How are you sitting <laughs> across from me? What's your organization process like? It was hectic, I'll admit, <laughs> uh, especially since, you know, I was still, I think I had more than 20 hours of ensemble rehearsal a week, plus personal practice and research and eating and sleeping. <laughs> sleeping, breathing. <laughs> Basically, it ended up every day I kind of did school until 6 or 8 p.m., depending on the day, and then after that I would just lock myself up in a Starbucks and study for the LSAT. Glamorous, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you could do it all again, though, would you do anything different? Like, would you change that you chose music initially? Or what do you think? Yeah, I don't think so. I think um, especially, you know, doing a graduate degree gave me a lot of opportunity to discover that, you know, the lifestyle of a musician is no longer what I want for myself. As well as, you know, I moved away from home. I got a lot of experience just living on my own, discovering what that looks like for me. Um, and, and yeah, a graduate degree, no matter what it's in, is going to give you a lot of valuable insight um, into what you want out of life, hopefully, um, and valuable skills that are applicable all across the board, like research skills and writing skills um, that are, you know, going to be key for me in law, for sure. I think with working in an ensemble especially, I don't think a lot of people think about this who aren't involved in that type of circle would you say that it forces you to pay attention to everything and multitask oh absolutely yeah it's like any ensemble you're listening as much as you're playing uh you're reading your music you're looking at the conductor hopefully um <laughs> and as well as trying to blend balance and tune with your section and the rest of the ensemble and when you take those skills into a different type of workforce how do you think that applies Actually, I think, if anything, your interactions with people in the ensemble are one of the most valuable skills that transfers. There's a lot of really careful wording that goes into working with the section um, and, and taking feedback and giving feedback to and from conductors and to and from other players that I think is really valuable. You learn how to phrase things in a, in a bit of a <laughs> diplomatic way uh -huh. um, while still trying to work toward a common goal, and I think that that's a really big skill that any musician can take forward into other careers. Hmm, I hadn't, I mean, I'm a piano player, so it's a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been a little bit more me, myself, and I, I guess. But I think it says a lot about how you go about dispute resolution. Absolutely, yeah. Too, because if you don't like the people that you play music with, it's not going to sound good. Am I wrong? Like, yeah, <laughs> there's, I mean, even if you don't like them, you, you definitely have to be able to put that aside and, and work with them. Absolutely. And you mentioned you're from Calgary? Edmonton. Edmonton, yeah. okay. And what made you want to come out to Victoria? Like, what draws you to being on the West Coast? Right. Um, when I was looking at grad schools, I found, and this is a, a pretty common issue in, in brass playing in general, there are very few female professional brass players still. It's still a very male-dominated uh, career. And, you know, Mary Klasik was coming here to teach, so I thought it'd be a really valuable opportunity to learn from a female brass professional. And, and there's just very few out there. All the other schools I applied to had only male brass faculty um, and for that was the case until she started here. So that for me, it was good and helpful to see that a female can be a professional performer. And for 
for Mary, she's the principal with the Thunder Bay Symphony Orchestra. So it was good to see a female in a leadership role in an orchestra as well. Right, I've seen all the hashtags, like the woman in music, it's still, for brass players especially, yeah. and or women in jazz is another one. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it, it, it actually dates all the way back to uh, the 18th century. I was researching this last year for a course. You know, back in the 1700s, women were just seen as too fragile for the physicality that, that a brass instrument can take. And I remember reading about a female brass ensemble that went and played in, in the 1730s, I think. And they got laughed off stage because they were women playing brass instruments, and that was so silly of them. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't think that the attitude is that negative now, but I right. definitely think that brass sections in a lot of ways can still be a bit of an old boys club. You know, and I've, I've faced that in my uh, schooling even as well in my first degree. There's an instructor uh, who just treated girls or women playing brass instruments as, uh, as cute, that's adorable, um, hmm. and that sort of attitude. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's a manly instrument, and, and that's constant, like a f- feedback that we're given constantly, you know? You need to be more macho to play a brass instrument. Hmm. And I don't think that's the correct wor- wording. No, I think it goes to show that people don't expect women to have the physique Yeah, to play brass instruments, because you would never hear anybody say like oh girls shouldn't be singers or girls shouldn't be flute players yeah exactly you know girls shouldn't play the piano like that just doesn't happen doesn't happen it's not a thing but with the groups that you mentioned that you coach or you teach music as well yep yep I've uh, taught private lessons as well as coaching brass quintets what's the attitude that you take when you go about girls that want to learn brass instruments or just encourage them and and treat them like any other student um and I think that's the key is just there should be no difference between any gender's ability to play an instrument because it has nothing to do with gender um so treating them that way and you know rather than using terms like you need to be more macho you can say things like play with more confidence play with more bravura it should have nothing to do with I think a gendered adjective Right, it applies to everyone. Absolutely. The sound that you're going for shouldn't be gendered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and in reality, it's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's incredible that you came out here specifically wanting to study with someone, which I'm sure it wasn't just because she's female. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> for that to be a consideration is yeah, absolutely. really respectable. And I think that women in music do need to kind of band together a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Because there seems to have been like you said it's a it's still a bit of an old boys club and you see it in production you see it in hip-hop definitely oh yeah in a lot like across the board with music and it's we're still working through those issues daily there yeah. is no unfortunately no end in sight no not, not yet <laughs> <laughs> and I think that for you I mean I'm wondering how much of that do you think will kind of stay with you when you're doing other pursuits in your life with your now law career and also with just your life moving forward post-school. How do you think being a woman in music has affected how you see everything around you? (laughs) (laughs) I think that I'm just more aware of that that attitude existing um, and ways that, you know, as women we can sort of combat that. Um, treating ourselves with the the same sort of respect and equality we expect other people to treat us with is really important. And I think 
as as a woman in music, there's I think you almost need to be a little bit more more outgoing, you know, mm-hmm. seeking opportunities and forcing other people to hear you play. And I, you know, I think creating opportunities, asking people to hear you play, going to play for teachers in whatever city you're in, just so that they hear you and and see you as something other than just oh, uh, a female brass player I heard about. And just showcasing the skills that you have becomes really important. Whereas I think perhaps for for un, um, a man that's playing the trumpet, for instance, I, I feel like that's just never questioned. Going forward as well, do you see yourself being in Victoria? Or what's the... <laughs> Hard to say. Um, for the next three years at least. Uh, but beyond right. that... Um, it's hard to know. I, I definitely miss my family and friends in Edmonton, but at the same time, I've kind of created my own family here. So it's hard to know. I really love the West Coast and the lifestyle and the general mindset out here. And, and the political landscape out here, it definitely fits more with my personal worldview than the general worldview in Alberta does. But uh, we'll see what the future brings, I guess. <laughs> How do you think the music scene compares between here and Edmonton? They're actually both very vibrant musical cities. I think I found more opportunities for like amateur performers or semi-professional performers in Victoria. Um, so I've been able to play uh, gigs with community orchestras, the Metropolitan Choir, and that sort of thing. Whereas in Edmonton, I feel like there are fewer opportunities like that. Um, but both cities have very good professional orchestras, jazz ensembles, jazz clubs, and youth orchestras, and that sort of thing to play with. So they're actually pretty comparable. And with the law degree, is that something you feel you can take anywhere? Oh, absolutely. Um, other than having to write the bar in each province you want to practice in, the uh, Canadian law degree for um, civil law is, is really transferable. And I have one last question for you. It's more of a fun question. What's your favorite piece of music? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> favorite piece of music? I'd probably say... Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, for sure. It's it's beautiful and it's catchy. <laughs> <laughs> Unconventional. Really? I think so. Well, I've just never heard someone have that as a music <laughs> first, but it's it's a nice big brassy piece too, so I'm a little bit biased, but <laughs> well, we all have those biases. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in, Erica. Thanks for having me. For interviewee contact information or to listen to this episode again, go to podcasts at cfuv.ca. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Jargon.